Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. I'm Julie Douglas. So, Julie, how uh, how you been sleeping lately? Have you been abducted by aliens? Uh, has your head exploded? Anything like that recently? Mm, no, I haven't had any weird sleep disorders that make me feel like I'm being probed or uh, anything ricocheting around my head, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but as we've discussed in the past, you had a, a little... Uh, bit of the exploding head syndrome. I uh, did, yeah, day. yeah, which yeah. was terrifying because it sounded like a, a door just shutting in my head really loud, and uh-huh. I thought for sure someone had entered the house and was about to hack me to bits, but no. Yeah, because, I mean, one of the key things about dreams is that to the dreamer, the dream is generally real. Our mind completely buys this reality, and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really telling thing on a, on a larger level about how our brains can believe anything, and, and it can be a, you know, and you can argue that, well, if our brains can believe this is a dream, then what's to say that everything going on right now is not a dream? Well, in dreams and the, in the brain are, it's still one of those areas of research that's pretty, um, untapped. Right. And, and just now are people really starting to understand what's going on with our brains when we're sleeping and why we do the things we do and think the things we think. Yeah. Are happening to us. <laughs> yeah. And a general, like, generally, for my part, I have pretty normal sleep. So I, I tend to have nights where I have, like, a good night's sleep. Yeah. Or a bad night's sleep. Or I have, um, no dreams, stupid dreams, really cool dreams, or sometimes, like, stress dreams or nightmares. But that's pretty much it. But there, as we're going to discuss in this podcast, there is a whole world of extreme sleep out there yeah. of crazy and sometimes very tragic, um, sleep disorders that can occur uh, and, and plague people for years. Yeah, yeah. And the sleep paralysis, which we had mentioned in the alien abductions, that is pretty much uh, the sleep paralysis, this feeling that, that you know, you're being tied down and, and your muscles are, uh, are you're not working, basically, but you're awake, that sort of brief moment. That's really responsible for a lot of people trying to square what's happening to them and and coming out on the other end thinking they've been abducted by aliens, by the way. Yeah, because their muscles are still locked down. Like the basics yeah. here is that when, you, when you're sleeping, uh, we're having a, you know, our bodies are resting for the most part and we need a, uh, we, we're, we have all this mental activity that's still going on. So we, the brain shuts down the, the rest of the body right. so that if in your dream you are karate chopping zombies, you won't actually be throwing karate chops. And then when you wake up, they uh, the, the idea is to release these constraints, unlock everything, and let you carry on. Right. But in sleep paralysis, somebody forgot to undo uh, undo the locks. Everything's right, because they're like, you know down. what, you're aw- I'm, I'm awake. I should be able to control my muscles now, but I'm right. not. So it's very confusing. And then with other parasomnias, you have the the. The, the opposite going on where, the, you know, the safety should be on and you're sleeping and yet your locomotor part of your brain is directing you in all sorts of places and, and you're you're running amok yeah. in the neighborhood. Um, I, I we'll was, talk about that Yeah, I think bit. yesterday I was trying to do like an elaborate Jurassic Park uh, electric fence dinosaurs <laughs> kind of analogy. But I think yeah. the, the more apt analogy would be roller coasters. Like sleep paralysis is... The roller coaster has come to a stop, mm-hmm. but you're still locked in into the roller coaster harness. Right. And you're like, why is this not releasing? And then uh, some of these other <laughs> situations we're talking about are the roller coaster is moving and the harness is not locked down. 
Yeah. And you're just, you know, you're uh, going down the hill and you're starting to float out of your seat. Yeah. That's, that's the feeling. That's the analogy. Um, as far as statistics go, sleep paralysis is actually pretty common. And surveys from different countries show a wide range of estimates, anywhere from 20 to 60 percent of that particular population experiencing sleep uh, paralysis. So, you know, we're not going to really talk about sleep paralysis uh, but we'll talk a little bit more about a parasomnia. And we're t- when we're talking about a parasomnia, uh, it's anything that happens that's sort of out of the ordinary. Yeah, parasomnia, abnormal sleep, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, some examples are eating disorders, you know, sleep eating, sleep, okay. sleepwalking, night terrors. So we're not talking like midnight snack. We're talking you get up and you... You are stuffing your pie hole with a tub of butter. That's what we're talking about. Something that you normally wouldn't do, right? Uh Um, And then hopefully uh, you wouldn't be doing that. And then REM sleep behavior disorders and sleep aggression. And then there's the, 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 um, the, I was going to say the cherry on the top, sexomnia, which is sometimes called sleep sex. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that refers to sexual acts that are carried out by a person who is sleeping. This is, this is real. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I actually went to a panel at the World Science Festival oh, yes. yeah. Yeah, about sleep, and Dr. Carlos Schenk uh, was one of the panelists, and he says that parasomnias represent extreme states of mixed sleep wakefulness, and that brain research has shown that when the brain is globally asleep, there are still parts of the brain that are awake. With parasomnias, release of behavior is not accompanied by proper judgment, and sleep behavior is non-culpable behavior, which is important in the oh, eyes wow. of the law. So your your judgment is still in the dream world, but your movements are in the real world. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can talk a little bit more about this later, but there have been people who have had a sleep disorder defense uh, for murders and have gotten off because they could prove that what they did while they were sleeping really wasn't intentional by their waking self. You know, I feel like I have some sort of a sleep disorder now that we're talking about it because I'll be having a dream and we'll, this is an example. I'll have the dream and then suddenly a guy will come up to me in the dream and be like, Hey, I have this uh, Pegasus here. Would you like to ride this Pegasus around and fly around and experience unbridled, uh, you know, joy? And I will be like, I don't know. This sounds kind of scary. I have something I need to do. Like, like I don't embrace, like I'm bringing too much real world judgment into my dreams. Uh, was this guy Harry Hamlin? Um, no, I don't think it was. Oh, because of the, yeah, Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. No. Okay, so you can't really turn off that part of your brain, that seed of judgment, to to sort of let yourself go with it. Right. Like, if I'm in the dream personally, it seems like crazy things don't really happen. Sometimes Mm -hmm. weird things do. But it's it's only when I'm like a third-person perspective, when it's like a movie dream. Then things will be awesome. Uh But if it's just me, it's like I'll pass on the Pegasus, you know, and, and other things will occur. And I'll be like, oh, I'm not really into that. Uh, whereas, and then I'll wake up and I'll be like, well, that was a dream. I could have done anything. Well, I wonder, like, I know that sleep patterns are now uh, being connected to genetics. I wonder if your huh. dreaming patterns could be as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And this is actually from Wired.com, Sleep Disorders Traced to Genes. It says researchers only began to seriously explore the genetics of sleep in the mid-1990s, and they're far from determining which genes are in charge of the body clock. Even so, there appears to be general consensus that many of us don't voluntarily choose to be short sleepers or long sleepers or morning people or night people, Hmm. which is kind of interesting because... You know, independently of this, the researchers have found that people with a certain gene are more likely to feel sleepy or fatigued, but have difficulty sleeping after only four hours of sleep compared to people without this 
gene. Huh. And this gene is associated with narcolepsy. So there's, there's certainly underlying factors going on here when we talk about sleep disorders um, or even diseases like something called the fatal familial insomnia. Oh, no, this one's, yeah, this is uh, brutal. It's awful. Yeah. Um, again, it's another, it's it's a type of sleep disorder, although it's it's a bit of a disease. It runs in families, and uh, Pierre-Louis Gambetti, one of the discoverers of the condition, claims that it's the worst disease that you could get. Yeah. Um, and he's not overstating this. Our own Josh Clark wrote a little bit about this in, a, what I think it was, 10 Amazing Things Your Brain Can Do. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you can just find, just, uh, search for, uh, fatal insomnia, um, on the House of Works homepage and you'll find this uh, particular article. Uh, but yeah, it's actually a prion disease, which yeah. is akin to like, uh, Kuru, the, uh, the, uh, disease uh, among human Jacob. cannibals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then also ki- uh, akin to, uh, uh, mad cow disease as well. So yeah. it's a, it's a, it's an abnormal, like, protein, uh, encoding thing. And only 28 families worldwide so far. Have they discovered have this? But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's brutal. Like there was this, this one day had it. I mean, it's like months of not being able to sleep, like just falling into the resulting yeah. dementia that comes with this. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they, they eventually like tried to shut his brain down and put him in an artificial coma, but his brain was still awake in there. It yeah. Was- this is, this is the case of, um, it was a Chicago music teacher, Michael Cork. Yeah. Yeah. And at the age of 40, he just had an awful bout of insomnia. You're right. Completely quit sleeping, which is the marker of this disease. You quit sleeping. Your your brain and your body begin to shut down. He deteriorated into dementia and doctors actually even induced a coma in in him, hoping that that would help shut down that part of his brain. But no, his brain continued to, oh. to be active. Um, and so I believe it was six months after the initial onset of insomnia that he died. So this is fatal. Yeah. Um, in some cases, people can live up to three years, but they will die. Um, and, and what's unusual about this is that uh, it doesn't really come into existence until you know, at something like the 40s, 50s. Um, that's when it's going to show up. And because it's an autosomal dominant gene mutation, there's a 50 percent chance that you can pass this along to your kid. So it's relatively um, new to us in terms of its discovery, and it's very rare. And again, it's very hard to spot because if your kid doesn't develop this until they're an adult, you know, they're 40, 50 years old, then, you know, prior to us even knowing about it, you you would just not you would assume that it was some sort of freak accident that, Mm. you know, that your child expired from. So it's a it is awful because you're wasting away. And your mind is wasting away and you're not sleeping and you just shut down. Wow. Your body shuts down. You know, insomnia is is one of these things that I think it's difficult for people to imagine if you've never suffered through it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if for people with normal sleep patterns, you might think like, well, I wouldn't be able to sleep. Oh, I guess I'll have to play video games all night. Or, wow, I'd get so much work done or reading done. Because sometimes it's easy, especially in a busy life or, or life full of a lot of hobbies, um, you think, well, sleep's kind of in the way. It's kind of like eating. It's if I didn't have to do this, it would free up a lot of time. But, but, but when you have insomnia, when you have tr- trouble sleeping, mm-hmm. um, it's it's not like you have a gift of usable time uh, on your hands. It, uh, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, insanity sets yeah. in uh, the the longer amount of time that you know you're sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about this before. You've had a couple of all nighters, maybe. Um, you know. Whether you were studying or you were doing something else, a couple of days after you, you were seriously uh, debilitated in your ability to think critically. Yeah, uh, and that's just a couple of nights. Can you imagine six months of not sleeping? 
um, you know, that, and, and that would make sense why he descended into dementia. Yeah. There is a, I mean, this is fiction, but, um, Stephen King's book, Insomnia, um, which, as the title implies, uh, has to do with insomnia. Yes. Uh, but it, it ultimately involves, of course, some supernatural elements and ties into the whole Dark Tower series. But there are some great chapters as this the, the lead character is an older man and he's he's gradually developing insomnia, where it's like each night he's getting less and less sleep. And King does a really great job of in these these early chapters, especially really making you feel the frustration and weariness of someone who is 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 having uh, is suffering from insomnia. Yeah, it's grueling, right? Yeah. Um. So, I mean, I, I've had it several times in my life, and I cannot imagine having having it uh, just in perpetuity. Yeah. How'd you fix it? Um. Uh, I mean, eventually, my body just got so tired <laughs> that I, you know, fell asleep. But it really is one of those things that uh, your brain can drive you insane because you're constantly thinking, hmm. and 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 most of the time, it's not deep thoughts or interesting thoughts. That's just a very Buddhist uh, idea there. Very. How's that? Well, it's constantly thinking, right? You need to be able to clear your your mind, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah which is where meditation comes in, right? Um, so let's let's talk about something called REM sleep behavior disorder. Uh, this is something that Dr. Shank talked about a lot, and this is particularly um, interesting because people are acting out their aggressions, and and oftentimes it can actually be dangerous to partners, spouses who have to live with someone who has what's called uh, an, an RBD, the REM sleep behavior disorder. And it's actually cultural as well. So you can see in, in every different culture, there, there are going to be examples of RBD and um, those aggressions, these dreams that are very violent are going to be playing out in whatever sort of cultural story mm-hmm. that they're telling. Uh, we saw a clip again at this panel at the World Science Festival of this Japanese man who was having a dream about a samurai sword, which he was wielding around and then plunging into his uh. opponent, who uh. was, I guess, lying in repose on the on the floor. And it was this very elaborate uh, movement that he was doing that was, I mean, you could... Uh, practically see the samurai sword in his hand. It was that convincing. Oh, wow. oh he did not actually have a sword. Though. No, okay, no, good, no. Good, he good. was dreaming about this. Wow. Do um, not let that man sleep with the sword. Right. Yeah. And, and you, you probably don't want to cuddle up next to someone like this, right? Um, well, but you've, heard, you've heard plenty of other accounts of, I think uh, it was my great grandfather, I want to say. Um, like he had a little of this where he would like start uh, kicking and punching in his sleep. Or you've heard of uh, accounts of people yeah. who, who like, strangle somebody in their sleep, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's actually, it's male dominant, this RBD, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. And uh, Dr. Shank had said that a lot of his RBD patients were just mild-mannered folks during the day, really nice people, but they would have these terrifyingly aggressive dreams at night and their spouses would say, please help me because, you know, uh, my my uh, husband tried to kill me last night. And in fact, there's an example, Mel Abel, again, mild-mannered retiree, who almost strangled his wife Harriet to death one night while dreaming that he was finishing off a deer that he had just oh. shot in his dream. And in his dream, the deer would not die. Uh-huh. And so he took it by the jaw and he started to twist it and try to oh. snap its neck. And that wasn't working. So then he started to strangle the deer. Well, the deer was his wife. Oh. And his wife was screaming, you know, blood-curdling screams. And, and thankfully, it woke him up right before he he almost killed her. And that's, of course, when he went to go seek help. And all of this is like, it's, it's sensational. It's, it's nuts. But, um, I think one of, one of the things it's pointing to is that there are underlying factors going on here. And what Dr. Schenk found is that 
81% of RBD uh, disorder sufferers will then convert into Parkinson's disease. Huh. Yeah, which is crazy. And he thinks that this is it's definitely a lot of insight and an opportunity to have insight into Parkinson's and try to intervene early. Uh, so, you know, you think that these things are going on in your head and that it's just some sort of anomaly. Well, in fact, you know, there's some sort of physical basis uh, for, for your for your your emotions, your mind, your body reacting to all of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, playing out, you know, an aggression. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of extrapolations they make with Parkinson's and RBD. But now let's get back to that tub of butter. Oh, but before we get to that tub of butter. Oh, yeah, we guess we should take a quick break. Yeah. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of Tomorrow. And we're back. Tub of butter. Sleep eating. Let's do this. All right. We have a great article on our site called How Sleepwalking Works by Katie Lambert. And uh, you might associate sleep eating with Ambien, right? Right. Yeah. That's Typically, that's the whole story. All these nightmare scenarios where someone gets a prescription for Ambien and uh, and then all their friends tell them, oh, well, I, I know a friend who blah, blah, blah. They, you know, ate a pack of cigarettes or they... Or they got up and they cooked dinner or they did something crazy or they saw something crazy and then, yeah. then they don't take the Ambien that was prescribed to them by a doctor. Well, so. but Katie's article points out that as, as uh, the drug grew in popularity, you had more of these instances of sleep eating happening. Interesting fact. Katie wrote that article while sleep typing. And sleep eating at yeah. the same time. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in fact, I think this is a first person account here. She says they, they ate from tubs of margarine that some of the subjects <laughs> Um, I'm just kidding. Of course, Katie wouldn't do that. Uh, and they ate cigarettes and raw meat. And again, what you're, <laughs> what you're seeing here are, are hopefully hallmarks, uh, of what they would not be doing. Right. In their yeah. daytime activities. And people would wake up with crumbs all over the bed and have no idea, you know, why the crumbs were there. Or they'd start gaining weight and they'd say, I don't understand why I'm gaining weight. Well, I understand sometimes too, it would be, even if they're eating something normal, there'd be something abnormal about the way they were doing it. Like, um, like uh, there was some account where somebody was doing something weird with their pinky finger while eating something. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Doctor Shunky talks about that, and he says that um, he said he showed a video actually in this panel of the woman eating a brownie, and each bite she would put her pinky at the entrance of her mouth, <laughs> and then she'd nibble at her pinky, and she'd do other little weird things while she was eating. It was huh. it was pretty curious, um, and of course she would never eat that way during the day. Um, and it was a good indicator that her mind and her brain were, were still in this weird sleep mode. And, um, and, and, and yet she had this motor activity going on. And this is interesting too, that, that, uh, sleep eating is usually considered a final common pathway disorder, meaning that a variety of other sleep problems could be at play. So you've got sleepwalking, restless leg syndrome, or even sleep apnea, mm-hmm. which yeah. can contribute to it. My grandfather had that. Yeah. The sleep apnea? Yeah. Is it the same one who was punching? No, no, that was, I think that was the, uh, no, that was his wife's father. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, cause that could have, that could have been what sort of tipped the scale mm-hmm. in terms no, of he had to wear the motor activity. At night when he slept, he had like an air mask. Ah, uh, okay. All right. So, I mean, we do see, we see these ambient induced sleep eating things. And then we also see where it's not ambient induced. It just happens to be sort of a byproduct yeah. of other sleep disorders. And I, I should, I, I really want to stress, um, having, gone through this with a member of my family, uh, 
if your doctor prescribes Ambien to you, don't listen to all your crazy friends about like some encounter they had with somebody who had some sort of crazy thing. Listen to your doctor for, you know, I know you say that. And then I'm going to be honest and say to you that I, I'm not necessarily, well, I don't take a lot of stuff like that anyway, so it's, it's just not sort of my thing, uh-huh. but medicine. There, <laughs> I take medicine when I need it, but I don't necessarily seek out sleep aids. And even though I probably should sometimes, uh, but I do have this fear that well, if you make I took, it, you make it sound like, like rifling through everyone's desk uh, when they go home in the evening to look for sleep. Aids. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like if someone, if you're prescribed it by your doctor. Yes, I yeah. know. But you have to understand that it is, there's this part of, of people who say, I really don't want to wake up having, you know, finding myself having a uh, urinated on a policeman after <laughs> stuffing 10 donuts into my mouth well, in the no, middle of nowhere. I know nobody wants that. Who to wants happen. to bring that upon them? Even if it happens to like one person out of one hundred thousand. And I'm really hurt that you keep bringing this up because that was an isolated incident for me, the donut and the urination thing on the cop. But you say, but okay, you say anyway. that, yeah. But we just did a podcast about lying, so how can I? How can I be sure? You just looked oh. me straight in the eye and said that. I know. I know. Um, but anyway, so, so yes, yeah, sleep eating is definitely one of those, um, that is, is brought on by other disorders, as is sexomnia. All right. So yeah, this is the main event. This is, uh, I hope people, I mean, I hope they didn't, you didn't fast forward to this part, but. Just get to the sexomnia. Yeah. yeah. Um, people with sexomnia tend to be sleepwalkers mm-hmm. uh, and have other parasomnias again. And that makes sense. Because the locomotor system is activated. So there are kind of two different scenarios for sexomnia. Um, if you've had a long history of multiple parasomnias, some of them beginning in childhood, or if you've got obstructive sleep apnea. And I should also stress that um, and, and for anyone who wasn't aware, uh, sexual arousal during sleep is normal. Generally happens, especially in men, like happens every night. Like, um Lack of an erection during sleep tends to uh, uh, be a, a telling factor in there being other like erectile dysfunctions going on. So, I mean, the very the medieval idea that you're being visited by a demon at night is oh, causing a you to yeah, a succubus or an incubus that are causing you to have these these uh, you know erotic fantasies in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's just it's, we're talking about something purely biological here. Well, um, in the case of sleep apnea, where you're you know you could be snoring, yeah, um, and you, it sort of wakes you up, except you're not quite awake. Yeah. And just sh- enough to, like, we, we keep talking about, uh, about how it's like the, these lockdowns that are released in these different, uh, uh, parasomnia encounters. And now I've got a different metaphor in mind. And that is of a, um, like a, a cell block in a prison locked down at night. But, and so in some, in this cell, you've got sex. In this cell, you've got eating. In this cell, you've got, <laughs> um, samurai sword usage. Yeah. And, uh, and in some of these encounters, Everything locks down, but uh oh, the sex cell is open and then, uh, and it's free to wander the halls at night. And it's snoring. Yeah, and it's snoring. And Dr. Schenk is now calling it snorgasm. That's actually what he referred, referred to with yeah. the sleep apnea I, I induced. Looked, I looked it up activity. and it, it has other, um, usages as well, but, um, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like? Well, I don't know if I can mention any of them. They're, they're all significantly less scientific. Dirty bird usage. alert. Well, you, you put this on the outline and I'm like, well, let me look this up. And I'm just glad I didn't do a Google image search. Or oh anything. my goodness. Yeah. Well, we'll leave that to you yeah. guys out there. Um, well, the good news though about this, I mean, some of this is actually pretty tragic, but, um, uh, particularly the familial. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, most of this can be 
diagnosed and then treated with something like the clonazepam, which has really been very effective. So if you've got an RBD or you've got sleep eating or even sleepwalking, um, as a child, I sleepwalk. So, um, you know, I can attest to how terrifying that can be to parents. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I don't think they would give me clonazepam. They just locked me in my room. <laughs> uh, but there are things that you can do about it, which is great. Oh, well, now I will add that when we were uh, researching, I ended up com- running across confusional arousals, which I thought was going to be tied in with the sex thing. Or yeah. at the very least, I thought maybe it was referring to like odd occurrences, like when your grandmother's cat sitting in your lap or something. But, uh, but no, it's just, this is when, uh, a person wakes from a deep sleep during the first part of the night and, uh, and they just they have excessive sleep inertia or sleep drunkenness, uh, so they just come out of bed and they're just like a zombie. So, but so they has, just roam the house like a zombie, like yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's just uh, people experiencing confusional arousal. Uh, they react, react slowly. They have trouble understanding questions, um, problems with short term uh, memory, and uh, have and they and they have no memory of this later in the day. So, uh, I, I, I guess it would be like if if you if you have like a spouse that wakes up in the night, yeah. and they're just like a zombie, and you're like, whoa, crazy, get back to bed and go to sleep, and then the next morning they're like, whoa, I don't remember that at all. That's confusional arousal. Yeah, I should also also mention too that. Um, Alcohol can definitely exacerbate a lot of these conditions yes. and particularly um, night terrors. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, and if you are going through a lot of emotional distress, you know, all of this can sort of be the, the perfect cocktail for for a sleep disorder, at least yeah. experiencing it. Yeah, if you're if you're experiencing any sleep problems, um, first of all, you can come to How Stuff Works and uh, type insomnia uh, into the um, into the, the search bar. Uh, we have an article on there with a number of tips, and a lot of it's really common sense that like you know. Maybe cut down the alcohol in the evening. Don't you know? Don't have coffee afternoon. Things of that nature. Uh, but but certainly consider consulting a doctor if you're having. Uh, yeah, particularly problem. with the RBD. Yeah, um, yeah, especially if it's something uh, that is extremely out of the out of the ordinary. Yeah. So if you're punching around in the middle of the night, you should get that checked out. Cool. Well, let's check out some listener mail. As luck would have it, we received two emails related to dreams uh, prior to this uh, recording. Dreamy. Completely un called for but welcome uh we heard from don and don says uh, hello robert and julie i'm a little behind since i'm a relatively recent listener but tetris and ptsd remind me of the way my brain operates after i've seen a horror movie uh not always but sometimes uh, after a movie has particularly frightened me Candyman and blair witch all of these things i experience very vivid counting dreams during the dreams i see numbers almost exclusively and any horrifying images are conspicuously absent i can also uh only guess it's my brain's version of copying i think in the future i shall try tetris after a scary movie to potentially avoid the number dreams as they also frequently wake me up thanks for the great podcast well see now that there are a number of awesome things going on in that that I mean, on one hand, you know, it's like the idea of someone having scary dreams after watching a movie. Eh, that's, you know, every day. But she's having, like, nightmare number dreams. That's amazing. The, yeah. That's almost like, it's like a form of synesthesia in a way, yeah. you know? Yeah. The um, Now, the, the, the Tetris uh, pocket, that may have been an old one, I think. That may have been. Yeah, that yeah. may have been, like, a stuff in the science lab one. But, uh, but it was still pretty interesting. The idea being that... Um, when traumatic things happen, happen, there's a stage afterwards where we we start building this story about what happened. That mm-hmm. uh, the the idea that it's like, all right, I say a, um, a dog chased me, and then afterwards I'm like, oh my goodness, I was chased by a dog. A dog chased me. I was walking down the street, and a dog chased me. You know. 
what was that all about? How dare he? You know, and all, and, and then all these connotations come with it. I like, I am at risk of being chased by a dog every day. Um, how dare a dog chase me? I should be unchaseable. You know, I, it, it depends on the situation, but there's that period where we form that story mm-hmm. and it, be, and it, and it, and it forms the trauma. It like, uh, in, entrenches it in our memory. And so if you could interrupt that process, it's like, so instead of, uh, instead of performing that story, you're chased by a dog and then you whip out your smartphone and start playing Tetris. Mm-hmm. Tetris has been found to like interfere with that, uh, the formation of the traumatic memory. Tetris has been used a lot in, in, uh, in, in sleep research, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I believe it's been used in dreams too to see how people learn. Yeah. Like yeah. they, they dream about Tetris to see the patterns. And it's not just people loving Tetris and being like, I gotta incorporate this into my work. Yeah. So I can get away with it. But. <laughs> But yeah, so that was a fascinating email. Uh, was uh, uh, that was it was interesting to hear about. Uh, we also heard from uh, Mario. Mario writes in and says, "Hello, Robert and Julie. I was currently listening to uh, the episode you did in January, uh, a dream podcast. You talked about how dreams can help solve problems. To me, dreams are becoming more important to me every night. I don't know if they help me solve problems, but they sometimes give me problems to solve in the dream, and it's sort of a role playing dream. I treat dreams like totally different world, and it's its own thing. They're not real, but they." exist. Keep up the great podcast. Your 13-year-old listener. Oh, very cool. Uh, one of the things that I learned on that World Science Festival panel is that um, we do dream in non-REM. Uh-huh. And when we dream in non-REM, it's more about, um, it's less like a cohesive story and it's sort of a little bit more like just raw data sitting there huh. that you sift through, which I thought was very interesting in terms of trying to... Um, you know, figure out all the, the information, the stimuli that you've amassed that day and, and going through it and categorizing it. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Well, hey, if you want to share your dreams with us or share in the dream that is uh, stuff to blow your mind, then you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We are Blow the Mind on both of those. And, you know, if you're a fan of the show, check them out. Uh, each feed is a little differently, but, like, every day we're sifting through all sorts of, like, cool uh, cool articles online, different studies, and uh, we'll pop some of those up, whether they're related to something we're covering or not. We'll keep you in touch with what we're what we're recording, what we're thinking about recording, and uh, we do, in fact, take requests. So let That's us right. know. And the stuff that you're writing, too, which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you can also drop us a line if you want to keep in touch at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. 